Open your bulletin. I'm going to read to you from the bulletin this morning because we've got two scriptures that we're going to look at in Genesis. So it'll be a little easier to just read it from the bulletin. First is Genesis 4, 25 through 26, and the next one is Genesis 12, 1 through 7. So now hear God's word. Adam had sexual relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to another son. She named him Seth. For she said, God has granted me another son in place of Abel, whom Cain killed. When Seth grew up, he had a son and named him Enosh. At that time, people began to worship the Lord by name. The Lord said to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife, Sarah, his nephew, Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran. And he headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up camp beside the oak of Moreh. At that time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give you this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. This is the word of our Lord. You know, I think that reading your Bible, sometimes like a jigsaw puzzle, um, I don't know if you've ever tried putting together a jigsaw puzzle without the picture on the front of the box, but it's a little intimidating. You dump the pieces out, you got no picture, you don't know where to start. Maybe you can find the four corners, uh, but that's about as far as you'll get. Uh, and what our job is here at the church, the leadership and Dawson myself, is to give you the picture so that you can take the individual pieces as you read through these and start to put them together in a way that is healthy and will show you what the stories that are in the Bible are there for. And what we often do is we will take these stories or these narratives or different things and we will try to take our 21st century questions and read them back into the stories, like the story of creation. We'll try to say, well, here's the way God made the world. He did it in six 24-hour days or he did it in some gap or he did something but that isn't what the stories are telling us. The stories are written so that you can understand why you were created and for what you were created. The Bible is way too small to be an encyclopedia of everything. It's telling a very specific story about a very specific group of people and how that group of people affects the rest of the world. So there's a grand arc in your Bible. 
And what I've done is I've, I've, I've put it in three words so it's easy to remember. Creation, chaos, and recreation. Now, the way recreation occurs is by God's sovereign hand. He makes a move to redeem, to save, to reclaim the earth. And what had collapsed and and gone off the rails in a train wreck of sin, God puts back on the rails by his grace, plus nothing, just his, his goodwill and his kindness and his love. He puts the train back on the tracks and he aims it back at the target of creating a world where mankind lives in harmony with God, with one another, and with the creation itself. And these things are all relevant in our world today. They will be relevant in the 23rd century to Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock. They'll be relevant no matter where it goes or how long it goes. Because this is the way God created the world. We looked last week at three things. I'm just going to remind you quickly. The formation of community. God built into the fabric of this creation the need for us to need one another. We were never meant to be alone. In fact, in Genesis it says, it was not good that the man was alone, so he made a woman, someone who was to come alongside him, not subservient to him, but an equal who would stand right next to him because he was taken from his side, the rib, okay? And that that communicates something that was different than any worldview at the time or since, that man had a particular dignity. He had a particular role. And God formed that community In Genesis 1 and 2, the animals, the plants, everything is living after its own kind. It's following a pattern. And you know, in most parts of the world today, in civilized countries, and some not so civilized, but solitary confinement is illegal. We don't have the Bastille anymore where you lock somebody away for 20 years at a time and they don't see another human being, just a plate getting pushed in and out in a bucket with their sewage pushed in and out. It's cruel to take someone and put them aside and they have no human contact. Look at the children that in the Eastern Bloc after the fall of the Soviet Union, many children in orphanages that didn't have any human contact for up to a year, two years of their Uh, their life and it it scarred them it created problems for them and you know if you read statistics there are certain things that they say here's the most stressful things you've all seen those lists right here's the most stressful things human beings can go through and number one is like the death of a spouse and number two is the death of a child and number three is a divorce and number four is you know something else and you go down those lists Every one of them, changing to a new job, uh, changing to a new city, every one of them, at least at the top, are connected to community, to our need to have people in our life. And I, I reminded you last week that after the breakdown, we saw the formation, but after the breakdown of community, that's in Genesis chapter 3, the serpent and the tree and all that that most people are familiar with, When the world broke down, mankind didn't just 
no longer need people, but their needs became toxic. And they began quarreling with one another. The woman you gave me, the serpent, the man, all the blame shifting that we know that is relevant to today. And that's why the rest of your Bible was written. To show you the trajectory. He could have just stopped in Genesis 3. That would have been the end of the story. That's nice. But instead, God asks the question, where are you? He doesn't say, I see you. He says, where are you? He opens the door for the recreation of community, of his people. And those people are to be a blessing to the rest of the world. And that's what Genesis uh, 1 through 7 uh, is all about. This introduction of this great patriarch, Abram, or Abraham. Now, uh, I read a, a lot of commentaries getting ready for today. Of course, that's what I do, and I, I love, love doing that. But I read some things this week that really I had never considered, I didn't know were, uh, were relevant. And that is one commentator, very well-known scholar, said that Genesis 12, 1 through 7, and a little bit more of that, really creates a framework for the entire rest of the narrative that you see throughout Scripture. And I was fascinated because I love studying biblical theology, which traces the history of redemption through all the ages that the earth has, has existed. So when you hear Dawson or myself or uh, Jeff or one of the guys come and they preach, almost all of us follow that pattern of biblical theology where we're looking for the traces of God's redemptive story through history. And this scholar said that you can't ignore Genesis 1 through 7, or uh, 12, 1 through 7, because it gives us a pattern for the rest of God's story to mankind, all the way to Jesus. So let's, we're going to look at several things. First is, we're going to look at what we'll call separation. The separation that is necessary when you come to Jesus Christ. And we've, we've seen people in our church get baptized. We've baptized children. And we've, we've done the, the uh, discipleship necessary to teach people what it means for you to be a Christian. And one of the hard parts about being a Christian is the need to separate yourself. And the church has made lots and lots of blunders over the years with this idea of separating from the rest of the community. The church at different times has hunkered down into a bunker mentality and they peek out every Sunday morning like clams in a shell. You know, peek out, look around. Is it safe? Okay, hurry, jump in the car, we'll go to church. Right to church. And jump out of the car and run in the church. Oh my God, we made it. We can get dirty by any people, any of these bad people. Like you're coming to church to find good people. Hello? Or the other end is, I'm going to throw myself into culture. I'm going to be just one with everybody and everything. And we, we, we completely get absorbed by the wickedness and the evil around us like Sodom and Gomorrah or any of the other illustrations that you want. The scripture is not asking you to find a happy middle. Like I said last week, some people are, are just wired. They don't like being around people. They, they don't want to be around people. They want to have plenty of alone time. 
And then there are other people that medicate themselves almost like a drug. I got to have people. I got to have a lot of people. I need lots of distractions. So I'm going to be around people. And they're there every time you open the door. You got to move them out of the way because they want to be at church. And I am not telling you that we want to find some happy middle where you're, you know, in the middle. That's not what we're looking for. What we're looking for is that you have a robust and strong communion, community with God. And let that stand above the continuum of being uh, an introvert or extrovert. Let that stand above and inform you on how you're to relate. Sometimes it's good for, if you're one of those high energy people, got to be around, you know, maybe you need to learn how to turn things off, turn the, the phone off and get silent and quiet and alone. And maybe if you're one of those introverts, you need to learn what it's like to sacrifice a little bit of that selfishness for the sake of someone else. But only the gospel will give you the right measure Otherwise, you're going to be going all over the place looking for balances. And I've told you, I don't know how many times I've said this in church. Richard Pratt used to tell us in seminary, the deck of life is always shifting. You're like on a big boat, you know. The deck of life is always shifting. And balance is only momentary synchronicity. Every once in a while in that shifting of life, you might hit a balance. But if that's what you're looking for, balance, the gospel is not going to help you. The gospel is so out of balance, it won't even fit on a scale. The gospel informs us how we are to relate to everything else. It stands above everything. So look at verse 1 here in chapter 12 very quickly. We see a separation, and you see this repeated through. This is why it's so cool, because you see this repeated over and over, where God takes his people and he pulls them out and separates them so that he can save them or protect them or guard them or do good to them or whatever you have. He separates them from their old community. Look at verse 1. Leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to a land that I will show you. Now, Abram is 75 years old. He's an old man. And in the, you know, I'm, my family background is Middle Eastern. So I, you know, my family came from Lebanon. And we know what it is to be toxically codependent. That is part of our genetics. We are always together. We don't like other people. We're suspicious. Oh, we open our homes very hospitable. Come on in, but we're kind of not sure. And even though we don't necessarily like each other, we will be around each other. And so you get all kinds of crazy stuff going on. And you know the Hispanic, uh, uh, right, Hugo? The Hispanic, same thing. Same thing, if you were raised in any kind of a traditional background, you know that it's all about the community, the family, the tribe, the ethnicity. America's unique. It's one of the only times where you have the proverbial melting pot where people got all mixed up. And that's one of the glories of our country. It also makes it very difficult when you start a church to try to get people to come. Because if you're in a traditional culture like El Paso, where is everybody on Sunday afternoon? Native El Pasoans, where are they? Where? Football game, watching football. With who? With their family. They don't want you at their house. I mean, look, think about it. 
Las Tierras Community Church out on the east side, Manuel Padilla and now Jeff White, planted that church a couple years after I came here. And planning this church, Christ the King, Tom Johnson and the church planners from the network in in, uh, Dallas, had a really tough time getting their head around El Paso. El Paso's not like other places. When we lived in Orlando, everybody out there in Oviedo where we lived, everybody was from somewhere else and they lived there because they were working somewhere in Orlando and they lived outside in what's called a bedroom community. Nobody was from Florida. Everybody was from somewhere else and so they were craving community. I gotta find some people. I gotta be around some people and churches are popping up like this and that and churches become a haven for folks that are looking for community. We come to El Paso and we've got a little core group of El Paso people. Then outside of that, we've got our military and government folks. And outside of that, a few outliers, put yourself in whatever category uh, you want. But it's very hard to plant church in El Paso because people don't want to do community groups. They don't want to get together on Sunday afternoon or on Monday night and hang out. They don't want that. And so we know that we're up against some real challenge, but when God calls us, he calls us to separate, to leave the old life, the old ways, the old patterns of thinking, the old habits, and begin a process, a journey. This is why we call our discipleship the journey. It's a a process by which you are moving towards not just others, but you're moving closer to Jesus and Jesus will put you in contact with the people you need and the people, listen, that need you. The people you need and the people that need you. One scholar said this, leaving the homeland and family was a much greater decision in a traditional society than in today's mobile and individualistic culture. Abram risked everything he held most dear to obey God's call. Christ similarly challenges his people to venture everything to follow him. So when you're reading a story like Abraham, let me give you a little, a little theology for just a moment. When you're reading a narrative like Abraham, there's a temptation to read it prescriptively. In other words, oh, this story is telling me how I must live. That's very rarely the case. Normally, these narratives are simply descriptive. They're just telling you something. Otherwise, we'd all have ten wives. I didn't even get a chuckle. But think about it. If if you were reading every narrative prescriptively, then you would say, oh, well, he had three wives. I guess I can have three wives. Oh, well, they murdered, you know, they murdered everybody in the city because they didn't believe, I guess, we should murder everybody. No, it's descriptive. It's just telling a story. Now, what you're supposed to pull out of the story may have implications for your life. And that's what this story is is like. It's saying, God, when God calls you, he goes and he gets you out of a foreign land, a place that may and probably is not good for you. That could be any number of things. And he takes you out and he moves you into a community primarily with him, with himself. And then once you're in a community with him, communion with him, then you begin meeting other people. And this is where it gets tough, folks. 
For Abraham, those other people were Canaanites. They were the bad people. And the people in Sodom and Gomorrah and the people, uh, the, 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 uh, the Bedouin tribes that lived in the land, they were not good people. So God separated him, yes, but he put him right into the middle of hostility. And that is repeated over and over and over. Think of Moses. He goes from Egypt to where? The wilderness. From the wilderness where? To Canaan. To fight the Canaanites. It's like, what is up with this? It's telling you a story. Because what did your Savior do? Think. He was separated from his Father in heaven. He became a man. He clothed his, his deity with humanity. And he came down away from his Father and took on flesh. He became a man with all of the hostility that you read in the Gospels. And he, as he traveled, he asked people, he said, do you want to follow me? Listen, a rich young ruler came to him. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, why call me good? Only God is good. You know the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't testify falsely, and honor your father and mother. And the young man says back to him, I've obeyed all of these since my youth. And Jesus looks at this young man and loves him. It says he looked at him and he loved him. And he said to him, one thing you lack... Sell everything you have and follow me. Give it to the poor. Follow me. Now, if you take that prescriptively, you better get your checkbooks and stuff out this morning, right? But if you take it descriptively, it's much richer, more full. Jesus probes a little bit deeper. He answered in the traditional Jewish way. Keep the commandments especially the second part of the commandments would have to do with man. You know, he didn't mention don't make any false gods, don't make any, uh, uh, don't have anybody, don't use my name in vain, don't have any other gods in front of me, all of that. He didn't mention any of those, not even a Sabbath. He only mentioned man to man. Why? Because folks, when you walk in that door, it's the easiest thing in the world to do at church. Walk in the door, put your mask on, and turn into somebody else. Easiest thing in the world. But those of you that are married, you know that does not work at home. You can try it, it doesn't work. We know each other, spouses. And that is where the trouble comes. So there's this need to separate. The man claimed that he kept all the commandments, but really he didn't. He was not in communion with God because if he had been in communion with God, if it wasn't just his behavior that we're measuring, oh, you can, we can measure you easily when you come. Is your shirt tucked in? Is there any B.O.? No, I'm pretty sure everybody showers before coming to church. We wouldn't want to bring any smelly stuff in the church. I hope you get the point, folks. You put on a mask. Jesus just gently, lovingly took the mask away and said, idol 
of money and power and wealth, you rich young man, because he was a rich young man, give it all away and come into communion, community with me. And you will have what? Treasure in heaven. Do you realize what that means? You know, every one of us is going to go into the grave without our money. Do you read about the guy in, in Dallas, this very wealthy cattle baron, property owner, he owned a block of downtown Dallas, really wealthy cowboy type, and he left in his will, when I die, I want to be buried in my Cadillac. And so they filled his Cadillac with all of his money and they put him, his dead body, inside the Cadillac and they got a crane, dug a big hole, and they're dropping him into the hole with his money, with his Cadillac. And the two gravediggers that are lowering the, the car, one says to the other, man, that is really living. <laughs> I know, irony. That's really living. I'm getting buried in my car. Uh, really? I, we just don't think. And that's what we want you to do. Think about what, what is God calling? Is he calling you to join a community group so we can have pizza and drink, drink sodas? No, he wants you to get to know people in your church. How many of you know the other people in the church's name? Much less anything else about them. But that's typical of El Paso. It's really weird. We're very friendly. We're a great community. There are very few places in the country where you can go and find hospitality and good nature than El Paso. But there's also a disconnect that we need to be thinking about. So separation is necessary to be a healthy Christian. The Apostle Paul said, throw off the old man, put on the new. Throw it off, put it on, Life is, you're not ever supposed to hit a place in life where you're just frozen and stagnant. We're always moving towards what? Towards this formation of a new community. So look very quickly, we need to do this fast. Abraham, God tells Abraham several things, but I've broken it down, there's four here. First thing he says, I'm going to give you land, a place. Now, when you, when you hear that in the Bible, I'm going to take you to a place, I want you to start thinking, oh, he's taking me to a place. What is that place? That place is going to be a new garden, a new place of refuge, a new place where you can start being fruitful and multiplying and replenishing the earth. That is your purpose. And let me tell you, Christ the King, if you find your purpose here in this world, no matter what you do, if you're a doctor, a lawyer, a pastor, a, 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 a nurse, whatever your profession is, all right, a school teacher, what have you, if you find your purpose is to cause the world around you to flourish, to be fruitful. You're not hunkering down, but you're going into a hostile area and you are taking land, space for God. You're making your space, the space around you, roomy. Some of the most touchy people in the world like that, you know, are Christians. You can almost hear them saying it. Let's all do it together. 
crabby and grouchy and you know, the littlest thing will set them off. We need to be spacious and roomy so that people can get around us and, and, and we're not coming down on them like a ton of bricks, but we're loving them and showing them community. He gives us land, a place. He says, I'm going to make you a great nation. In other words, there's going to be multiplication from you. Abram was childless. He had no children at this time. So I'm going to make a great nation of you. You're not going to be any good alone. You're going to need Isaac, and you're going to need Jacob, and you're going to need those 12 stinker sons he had. And you're going to need Moses, and you're going to need David, and you're going to even need Bathsheba. Yikes. Think about it. You're going to need Rahab, the prostitute. She's got to be part of your family. My gosh, these are people that were in Jesus. They're the mothers of Jesus, our Lord. Rahab, a prostitute. Bathsheba, you know, a a stinker. And David, a stinker. You know, I mean, think about what they do. And he takes them in. He says, you can't be a community without these. I'm going to bless you and make you famous. You see, he's telling Abram, the third thing is, I'm going to make a covenant with you where you're mine. I've told you this before. God says to you, individually, but also corporately, you are mine. Next week, we're going to baptize one of our little babies. I can't wait. And when we bring that child up here, those parents are going to take vows. But listen, the only thing that makes those vows mean a thing in this world is the fact that God has said to us here in Genesis 12 and in 15 and in 17 of Genesis, you're mine. You're my people. And I'm your God. Now come to me. Bring your babies, bring your lives, bring your mess, bring it all, come to me. All you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Come, learn of me. I'm gentle, I'm meek, I'm lowly. This is God, our Savior, calling us to community with him. And you won't be able to do it alone. Clearly, one reason for community building among ourselves And our wider sphere of influence is to be a blessing to others. Our lives, our influence, salt and light, social engagement, acts of mercy, elevation of humanity, justice, peacemaking, vigorously preaching the gospel of salvation. Just like Jonah getting thrown into Nineveh, a horrific place. Read some of the archaeological history of Nineveh. So in 4 through 6, you look at it, Abraham departs, he does what God, you see radical obedience in Abraham, and this is one of the reasons why Abraham is such a, a warm character that we all love to read about, because he was radically faithful, radically obedient, he was radically unfaithful, and radically disobedient. You read his story and you go, wow, he's doing great in 12. You get over to 13, 14, oh my gosh, he goes off the rails. Then God gets him back and then you you read 16 and 17, oh my God, he's off the rails again. You've got to love that kind of person. That's the father, by the way. The Bible says he's the father of the faithful. Don't you love that? Not some superstar. 
but a guy with all kinds of flaws. So we see you've got to be separated. We see that that separation is to form a new community that is going to be a blessing to the world, everybody around you. And that brings us to this final part. I'm probably not going to do this justice, but I, I pray that you listen to this. this doesn't, if this doesn't set Presbyterian hair on fire, I don't know what will. This has got to help you. Listen. What, what, what is happening here in this narrative? In the part we read in chapter 4, uh, 25 and 26, they, they said that men began, or people, human beings, began to call upon the name of the Lord. The, the Lord, yod vav the tetragrammaton, the, the Lord that's capitalized in your Bibles. They began to call on that God, this particular God, not Baal, not Chemosh, not Marduk. No, they were calling on this God, yod the Lord. And then here we see Abram moving into the land. And listen, folks, building an altar, verse 7. Look at it. He went there and God said, I'm not only going to give you a land. He makes the journey and he says, I'm going to give you this land right here. And Abram says, I believe you, I trust you. And he builds an altar and he kills whatever he kills, an animal, sacrifices it on that altar because community is going to be built, listen folks, in the land of Canaan. And if all you do is spend your life running away from hostility, you're going to be alone. And you're going to be away from the people you need in your life. Because I can tell you right now, Dawson and me and the elders, Gary and Dave and Ugo and Rick, we are not running from anything or anybody. Amen? We're going to fight to the bitter end. And we're all getting old. We need some of you guys to stand up and get in here and help us. We're tired. We're not going to run. Building community is not easy. It's not pizza parties. It's not coffee. It's not ice cream socials. It's getting involved with people around you that are messy, like us, broken, full of sin. And maybe why we try to avoid these people is because they remind us of us. We recoil at that. It's like the old saying, my sins look much worse on you when you do them. My sins don't look so bad when I'm doing them, but when somebody else is doing the exact thing, oh dear God, how horrible is that? And our nose gets longer and longer. It was like a ski slope. We look down our long nose. And maybe that's why we don't want to build community. Because we're going to have to get around people that are not like us. Well, boo-hoo. What do you think happened in your life? For goodness sakes, why are you here at church? Somebody who is nothing like you. Not even close. Not even similar. Had to come down, down, down. Not all the way. You haven't been down as far as he's been down. You haven't even gotten there yet. There's no such thing as rock bottom. No matter what Alcoholics Anonymous wants to tell us, a Christian never, ever finds rock bottom. Because when a Christian gets to rock bottom, there's always somebody lower than him. And it's their Savior that's down there at the bottom. That's what Christianity is all about. 
He came down from, from glory that we can't imagine. Clothed himself with frail humanity. He didn't, look like he, he didn't look like the guys in GQ magazine. Come on. Building community is not easy. So what we're asking you, we know it's not easy, but we're still asking you to do it. Come to church. Invite people to church. Invite people into your homes. Invite people into your lives as much as you can. You know, some of us are better at it, you know, being involved with people than others. Okay, whatever your capacity is, do what you can. I've seen some amazing things happen in this church from, from digging out sewers, right? Uh, replacing people's sewer lines. Fixing their cars. Staying up with them in the hospital. Letting them cry next to you without shoving a bunch of Bible and theology. Just let them cry and hold them and be quiet. How easy is that? And how hard Think of that altar. He built an altar. Listen, I'll finish. We have an altar from which the priests in the tabernacle have no right to eat. Under the old system, the high priest brought the blood of animals into the holy place as a sacrifice for sin, and the bodies of the animals were burned outside the camp. You see, they were unclean. They were filthy. They were no good. They had to take those sacrificial carcasses and they had to take them outside of the city into the dump. They had a special place where they burned them. They called it Gehenna. They called it hell. That's where they took those bodies to be burned outside the gate. So, also, Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy, separate, by means of his own blood. Sermons are not to put a guilt trip on you. You can't pay this back. Don't even think about, oh, I owe so much to God. Don't even say those words. You come with empty hands, but my goodness, where else are you going to go? Who do you want to commune with but a God like this that lays his life down for you, not just in a grave outside the gate, on Golgotha, the place of the skull, the filthy place, the place where they took the garbage? That's love, my friends. That's communion. He communes with us. Not so you don't have to, but so you can. So that you can open your life to others without fear. Because nothing can touch you. You're safe with Him. So let us go to Him outside the camp. Let us bear the disgrace that He bore For this world is not our permanent home. We're looking forward to a home that is yet to come. Not heaven, not a cloud. The earth, a renewed, recreated earth, a city. Whose architect and builder is God himself. I hope you'll trust him, will you? Let's pray. Father, uh, we love you and thank you. We know that the community can be hard to form. It's... 
requires a lot of things from us, separating ourselves from our old life and maybe entering a new one. But we know that you will be there with us and help us. You've called us to that, and we want to be part of your community with you. And from that, to be a blessing to everyone around us, believer, unbeliever, makes no difference. Help us to be salt and light to all around us because you're our light, Lord Jesus. Amen.